you know, how many times have you have you gone into IKEA and seen a pillow that you like with a particular material and then seen the design of another one and gone, I like that, you know, those stripes and and I and I like it, but I you know, I like this material and I like that um colour. And you know, you look at it and say, I have to buy something now. Whichever way I look at it, I have to buy something that I don't ultimately want. I'm not ultimately happy with. So I buy the thing that I'm most happy with, not the not the product that I actually want. And what customization, the problem that it solves is it says you can have that material with that color and that design and we will construct it for you. Hello, welcome to another episode of Shopology, a show that's all about the science of shopping behavior and the big trends in retail. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Pallant. I am a senior lecturer at Swinburne University of Technology. In each episode on Shopology, I'm diving into a different topic around consumer behavior, particularly big retail trends. This episode, I have an interview with Shadi Taleb, who is the founder of Spiff3D. They have a platform that's aimed to make it easier for brands to offer customization to their customers. I think this is a really interesting chat because customization is one of those topics that I think we've seen for a little while and we've seen some big brands like Shoes of Prey try it and, and not be able to make it successful or profitable long term. Yet, as we come into Christmas now, we see all of these different brands offering various levels of customization from being able to put a sticker onto a product or even having different names already printed onto products to the other extreme of actually allowing customers to put their own spin on the design of the product itself. It's a really fascinating space. It's also the topic of my wife's PhD. My wife, Jessica Pallant, is also a lecturer at Swinburne University and has done a lot of research in this customization space with her supervisors. And so it was a really interesting chat to have with Shadi about what he sees as the future of customization and how can brands make it make it profitable and what are Spiff 3D doing in this space to try to achieve some of those aims. So really interesting chat and quite timely given we come into the Christmas period and we see all of these different levels of customization being offered. So here is my chat with Shadi. Well, Shadi, welcome to Shopology. It's so good to be here with you and have you here. We were just I mean, chatting before we even started recording and realized, you know, we should probably hit go because we're really getting into the, the nitty gritties. I'm, I'm really excited about this topic about customization and then talking to you about what you've done with uh, Spiff 3D. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, no, happy to be here. Happy so, to be here. Yeah. If you could give a bit of a start for the listeners who may not be familiar with yourself or what you're doing at Spiff 3D, a bit about your background, maybe a little bit about the platform and, you know, where it's come from. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, uh, like without sort of going too far back into, you know, like the days of the beginning, I, I started my, my career in, uh, in finance. I was a, a stockbroker. I was a private client advisor, actually, you know, right at the time of the internet or dot-com boom. Um, at the end of that, 
I'd, um, you know, I'd always had that entrepreneurial itch and, uh, you know, decided to sort of um, um, uh, get out of the finance industry and, 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 and have a crack at doing something, you know, different and uh, without really having too much experience in, in that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, and so, uh, you know, I, I sort of sat long and hard and thought about it and um, I had a lot of clients when I was broking that were in the hospitality industry and, and by nature I'd, I'd you know, socialise with them a lot and got to understand a lot of their problems. And so the first little, you know, crack at um, uh, at, uh, at business that I had was to create um, uh, like a buying group. I, I'd aggregated a, a, a whole lot of um, hospitality venues um, across the country into a group um, and what we would called ourselves was like an efficiency broker. So what we did was we managed all of the variable costs associated with them running their businesses. Um, and some of the things were obviously the alcohol prices and the deals that they got. Um, and some things were like, you know, we negotiated al- uh, electricity, gas, water, insurance. That was a big thing. I don't know if you remember at the time, back in the early 2000s, public liability was going out, it was out of control because, you know, um, prices had really risen on uh, and you had small bars paying like $30,000, $40,000 for public liability and we'd negotiated deals on behalf of the members of our group using our, our buying power to get them, you know, get, to get all these venues, you know, real serious um, uh, price discounts across all of those variable costs. And, um, as an efficiency broker, we made our money out of a percentage of the efficiencies that we created. And one of those services was um, print, and that's how we got into – that's how I discovered print. And um, so, we, we you know, we delved into that print world, and, uh, and through print I discovered variable data um, using – that was like back in 2006 we started to discover that, oh, wow, with data that we can – with digital machines we can actually vary – um, the content on a brochure or a piece of marketing material based on the information that we had and so we could incentivize people with relevant um, uh, deals and um, and so we did that and we got a little bit of success for our customers out of that but then we saw that in direct mail people were you know at, this is again before social media really took off so people were still using direct mail as a, as a way of communicating um, uh, we saw that people were um, uh, our mail. Sorry, our, our, our information had a really good uptake once um, uh, people read it. But getting through, cutting through that clutter was very difficult because we were in there with a stack of other mails. So we decided to make our mail lumpy, and we got into paper engineering. So all of a sudden, we went from like an efficiency broker, um, and progressively, as time went on, and I got more into that print side. And instead of being an actual broker for print, we actually started to, you know, acquire machinery and actually acquire um, capabilities around fulfilling for our customers on our on our own. We sort of progressively sold off the other components of the efficiency broking business and became almost like a hybrid agency for print that focused on variable data and paper engineering. And that did well for a while and um, and it grew and we were, you know, we, we, we learned a lot about manufacturing and a lot about, you know, how we can, you know, we were building a lot of very bespoke items that were, um, you know, that were lumpy. Like, so it wasn't a sheet of paper. It was like a box and a kit or things with secret compartments or, you know, using magnets and 
you know, to make things levitate and so on. And it was all about getting that wow factor, having things explode and pop out and fly out when you open mail and so on. And we got a lot of, um, you know, a success out of it, but we found that we were spending a lot of time in R&D and then our customers were only ordering a small amount and then they weren't reordering them. And so we were charging a lot of money for a very small amount of things. And so from there, you know, the idea came that what if I could take those complex paper products that we were creating and make it easy for people to order them in small quantities um, and add data you know, as they went. So wh- what if I could give them a way to actually um, uh, to personalize these things and order them and then um, automate the actual fulfillment process so that, you know, so because w- when we made these things, we found that it was the cost of producing them was really high for the first hundred or so. And then by the time we got to the thousandth one, we had the process down packed, but then we weren't making it again because the customer only wanted to order it once. But some of these products were like, you know, we saw a real a market for it with the, you know, the the extended, you know, population. And um, so that's how Spiff was really born. Eventually I sold off that hybrid agency or printing company um, to a large pr- um, printer and, uh, I, you know, we went into the into that software world where we started to develop a platform to give people the ability to visualise these complex products in three dimension and then allow them to to essentially submit very technical specifications around the uh, around um, the production of a product without actually having any idea that they were doing it. So all they were doing was seeing a pretty rendition of the actual finished product. Uh, but what we were doing in the back end is we were building a uh, we build a PDF or a JPEG or whatever output file that's required to be able to um, automate that fulfillment process as much as possible. And that's how Spiff 3D was born. Yeah, I find that really, uh, it's a fascinating history, right, to go from, what you, I think you called it lumpy paper, right, to... Yeah, lumpy mail. Lumpy yeah, mail, right. right, to, you know, a, a essentially, if I understand correctly, is a sort of an engine for 3D visualizing and customizing products that can then go through and automate the the process to actually get them printed. It's a fascinating sort of history. And, and and looking through, you know, your website and some of the things you talk about with with Spiff3D, it is more than, than, I mean, there's the engine, but there's also, I saw there's a bit of a hub, there's some things around distribution, there's some things around analytics. So it's really about a sort of whole solution for brands to be able to offer customization to their end users or customize something that they want to send out themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, the having been now in customization in some form or personalization in some form or another for the last 15 years, I've un- I understand and have, and have experienced all of the the reasons why people want to customize and the reasons why people don't want to customize and the reasons why some made money and the reasons why most lost money. And in in most cases, in fact, there's only very few cases um, that that where this didn't apply. Uh, customization has only ever really been a branding exercise rather than uh, a profit center. And um, so Spiff was built with that in mind. You know, the idea is that um, you should be able to create a customized product, have it launched onto your website, make changes at at, at will, 
um, uh, and live and, uh, or sorry, in real time and understand how customers interact with it, make further changes without having to go to developers, without having to, you know, uh, to talk to the IT department, you know, have the, have the marketers be in control of what, you know, the customer sees and at the same time build a fulfilment automation system that can, you know, demystify that whole fulfilment process, you know, and um, really, really introduce mass production, you know, principles um, around fulfilment, um, you know, to that mass customized market. And, and what I mean by that is um, in a lot of our processes through our fulfilment automation, um, the cost to produce a, a customized product is equal to that of a mass customized product, sorry, mass produced product. That's really interesting and it's, it fits well. Uh, I mentioned to you off air before we started, my um, my wife actually did some PhD and actually did a, some academic research around mass customization and the value it can have for brands and customers. And like academically, they talk about this sort of idea of a customized product increasing the subjective value, right? So if I as an individual, it's it's, you know, at a low level, it's got my name on it. Or if at a higher level, I've had some input into the design or what that product is. I value it more than a standard product because it's it's got some personal subjective sort of value to me. We we call it the I designed it myself effect. I'm interested in, in your perspective. You mentioned, you know, you've been in the customization game for something like 15 years. What what you see as the importance or role of customization? You know, like what what is its benefit? What why is it such an important thing or something that you've spent so much time on? Yeah, so I mean, it, there's actually a couple of different reasons for why it's important. Um, you know, so one is that emotional connection that's created by just seeing your name on a, on on an object, or by seeing whatever uploaded media that you want to place onto an object. You know, there you feel like you've participated in the production of that item, so you feel more responsible for the actual finished product. And so, therefore, you're, you know, you, you know, you're more emotionally connected to it. The other reason is more of a, is more of a, a retail question. Oh, sorry, a retail. Yeah. So it's a, it's more of a retail question. It's, you know, how many times have you have you gone into IKEA and seen a pillow that you like with a particular material, and then seen the design of another one, and gone, I like that. You know, those stripes. And and I and I like it, but I you know I like this material, and I like that um, color, and you know you look at it and say I have to buy something now, whichever way I look at it, I have to buy something that I don't ultimately want. I'm not ultimately happy with, so I buy the thing that I'm um, most happy with, not the not the product that I actually want. And what customization? The problem that it solves is it says you can have that material with that color and that design. And we will construct it for you, right? And so then it becomes not just about the emotional connection that I that I have with, you know, being able to partner essentially with a brand by seeing my details on it, but it's also about getting exactly what I want. You know, as a consumer now, we've become very, um, uh, you know, we've become very opinionated about what we want, and we, you know, we kind of there's an expectation that we should be able to get it. And we see that in the numbers as well. The, the research clearly suggests 
there's some Deloitte's research that was out, I think, last year that said that 50% of customers would prefer to have some input into the production of their product. They want something unique. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're definitely seeing that uh, increasing as well as we're getting more of the sort of um, what I would call almost like uh, sort of just generic generic fast fast fashion kind of products, particularly in that space of sort of where everything almost looks the same. Um, you can find similar products everywhere, but it's not, you know, so that, that seeking uniqueness, that's that, that trying to find that something that's either different from everybody else or because I have some sort of unique need or, or something that can only be satisfied by being able to combine those different elements. Uh, that you oh, absolutely. Mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you see it, you know, and, and it's social media that's responsible for the uptake in that is, or the adoption is, you know, it used to be that there was famous people and there was everybody else. Now everybody can be an influencer because they've got a few thousand followers. And, you know, it used to be that it was cool to wear, you know, the the brand name with the, a particular, you know, design, a particular cut. That, and, you know, a brand would produce that particular cut 100,000 times and it was cool if you had one. Now, you know, um, it's not cool to be seen with the same sort of clothes and the same sort of, you know, get up and gear and you see it. Insta- you know, all, all of the influencers are out there are all trying to do something unique, you know, with the way that they portray themselves to the world. And so, you know, that that whole drive for that movement is he's, he's, he's actually, you know, now starting to flow through to that retail sector where they're saying, you know, I, I want to have, I want to be able to express myself through the products that I buy um, uh, and, you know, I, I want the power to be able to do that without without overwhelming, getting overwhelmed and having to spend hours and hours, you know, sitting and designing something next to a designer and coming up with ideas and, you know, and so on. I want it to be quick and easy but I want it to be unique. Example that pops to mind there for me is around like sneakers. So I'm a, I'm a basketball fan, NBA fan, and you see – you know, the LeBron will, will release the next edition of the, you know, whatever he's up to, the LeBron 22s or something it is now. And, you know, you go around a basketball court and you'll see a bunch of guys wearing them and they're the same. You say, oh, yeah, I've got the LeBron, so do I. But then you see someone with like that, that shoe, but it's a completely different colorway, it's a different style. It's got their initials on it or something. And, and you immediately, everybody, you see that kind of, people are drawn to it and it's like, where'd you get those ones? And it's like they're custom and there's, a, there's an inherent, I think, um, social capital and, and status that comes from that, having something that everybody else doesn't because it is unique to you. That's and, right. And that's yeah, something only customization can provide, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I'm interested in in that space though, again, putting myself into it, right, is is I am really interested in, in these sort of custom let's say just shoes, let's say they're sneakers, right? But the problem I have as a consumer is, you know, I don't, I struggle with the actual designing of it, right? In terms of often I find some of those tools, they can become overwhelming. It's it's almost there's too many options. There's too many, too much ability to customize. And I'm not a, I'm not a designer. I don't know what necessarily works together. So how do you balance that in a customization space of allowing that creativity and that input from consumers, but not overwhelming them or making it too too challenging. Well, 
I mean, the answer to that question lies in 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 the, in the way that we've actually built our platform. So you'll find that with other people that are trying to solve this problem, that what they do is they will give the user free reign and or they'll give them like, you know, like the canvas of the world. It's like here's some designs and some templates and you've got total free reign to be able to change the design, make, cha- you know, move things around, add text, make things bigger, make things smaller. And it's kind of, and that's kind of good for the people with the creative spark, right, that have got that technical ability and that's why Canva obviously has done so well. Um, it solves a real major problem um, whereby you want, you know, some the ability to make things quick or design things quick without having to have, you know, the university university degree that you have to have to, to run any Adobe products like Illustrator or Photoshop, right? Extremely powerful systems but, you know, you need to go to uni to be able to learn how to use it. Um, with us, we made the conscious choice of saying we're going to build our platform because because the reality is that the answer to your question is we don't know. We don't know what the perfect um, thing is and it's different from customer merchant to merchant and it's different depending on their demographic and it's different depending on the product that they're selling and it's different depending on the quantity of the product that they're selling and the use cases it's being used for. And so because that answer is because, – because it's so unique to every single um, consumer, the way we built our platform is such that um, you take the customer down a defined set of steps and those steps in our platform, in our hub that we were, t- you know, that we sort of touched on before, are easy for the, you know, for the merchant to be able to manipulate. So you can sit there and say, okay, let's try giving the customer three steps and seven choices in each one of them. All right, but then say, all right, oh, seven choices is not enough. Customers are clicking and they're not finding the thing they want. Let's give them seventy-five choices, right? And for them, just going into our back end and adding colors is very simple or adding more designs is very simple. And then they can, again, you know, th- through an analytics layer that we've been, we've, we've been building, it's obviously it's a, it's, it's a very big beast in itself and, it's, and it's, it's, it's still a work in progress. But it's, it, also, it already gives us a lot of insights and, and allows us to provide a lot of insights to the merchant around, okay, customers are dropping off if you give them 75 choices but, you know, they seem to be also dropping off and getting frustrated if you give them three. And, you know, so for you, for you in particular and for this product, it's this combination and this order that is most going to give, you know, most going to get that conversion rate and, and leave the customer feeling fulfilled but at the same time not have them feel overwhelmed. So it's that funnel system that... um we've built that allows them to create and manage, sorry, basically create the experience and step them through it in a particular order. As you're talking there, it almost sounds like to me there's two levels of customization happening here. There's the customization that the end consumer sees. There's a tool that, you know, they're able to add some input into a customized product themselves. But it almost sounds like your platform is, allowing merchants or brands, retailers to customise what even that customization tool Correct. looks like. Yes. It's, it's customised customization. Correct. And that's right. And so that was the, you know, that's the biggest, the biggest pain point for, you know, major adoption of customization across all retail, the, re, all the retail sector is the accessibility 
and you know for a, a standard merchant you know being able to uh, make the decision to say right i don't have you know a five hundred thousand dollar budget to set this up but you know i'm I, I know i set up my own shopify store i'm pretty technically capable and so i'm going to go and step through and say all right well here is a pillow and i'm going to offer people the ability to check, select the material and you know with our system you can simulate the actual materials um through the 3d model and it's pretty easy to set up and then I want them to be able to choose to put on put text here. Let's try that out. Well, that's two steps. Okay, well, if I'm getting feedback from customers saying, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could upload an image? And then they can add an image step. Wouldn't it be cool if I could choose from really cool designs? You know, oh, you know what? There's this really you know, great piece of art that's come out. You know, wouldn't it be cool if I contacted that artist and said, hey, you know, would you know, would you, would you like to partner and 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 have us, you know, um, Put that piece of artwork onto our product, or and and can we allow our customer to take that product, take that piece of artwork, and make changes to, you know, um, the product from the perspective of like things like colours and the way that they're presented, and you know, potentially the 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 orientation of the artwork, so that it's still, although it's a piece of artwork, it's 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 unique to me because I've made some choices that's made some, you know, some changes. That you know, when I see that artwork, or when somebody sees that artwork, they know that it's from this particular artist, but they also know that it's slightly different. You know, it's, it's giving them that power, giving the merchant that power over that. It has has been the biggest um, win for us, I think. Is you know, and then and now it's that learning curve, right? It's 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 we're constantly developing ways to make it simpler and easier for that merchant to be able to come up with even more creative ideas on how to separate themselves because all we do is provide the tools. Really, ultimately what sells is the content, right? What are you get what content are you creating for them in or what ability to add their own content are you giving? In order for you know you to sort of to get that customer to emotionally connect with your product. Speaking of that emotional connection, right? You mentioned uh, in that answer there talking about the the sort of three D modeling and and that being able to happen in a sort of real time setting, which I, I find that really interesting. I've got a, a PhD student at the moment who's who's doing some stuff around uh, augmented reality and virtual try on, so not quite the customization space, but What's interesting in that space is what we're seeing is really that benefit of of AR being able to help consumers actually visualize a product, whether that be in a space or on their foot or something like that. And we're seeing that that actually does lead to a much more in-depth emotional connection because, you know, you can actually imagine it's about this imagination of what the product actually is or will look like. And so I'm interested from your perspective in terms of that live 3D customization tool, the, the benefits or impact you've seen that have in terms of that emotional connection you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And they, like, make no mistake, we, you know, I think when I first started this business, it was, we were more interested in delivering it in AR than we were delivering it 3D in the web. And we did start by doing that and uh, we turned away from it just purely because the hardware and the adoption um, of the general consumer wasn't quite there yet. Um, We ran one of the first and largest augmented reality, personalised augmented reality campaigns for 
Alan's Lollies um, uh, with Nestle um, in 2018, I think it was. And uh, it was, you know, it was huge. Basically, you would purchase, you know, uh, I mean, this was more of a marketing thing than than actually placing a product in a room. But, you know, they were, people were purchasing a, a box of Alan's Lollies. It was came in a nice tin and, you know, they would then, um, shine the um, you know the, the, their phone app onto the actual sticker that had their name on it, and that was then triggering an animation that ha- would have like a frog and a banana that would jump on like some of the lollies would jump on top and then open a scroll and have your name on it in a, in AR type thing. That was really good, but it it was and 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 it's the same thing for the you know there's a lot of companies out there you know doing a lot with regards to being able to allow you to present products your products in ar so that people can see in real time in their room it's it's definitely where the future is heading i can see and to be honest i'm you know i predicted five years ago that by now we would have made that switch um well and truly so uh but we haven't you know i think it's still you know i think we need to see the wearables market really take off you know because i think having people actually shine a a phone and a device to actually place something in a room, it kind of takes the magic away. But if I'm just wearing a pair of glasses and I'm looking through the room and then I can sit there and, and do my customization and place the object in the room, then it feels like it's there, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it, the magic is there. Like it's, 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 um, it's, you know, that connection is, it's a lot easier to make. Um, and, you know, look, we've set our system up to be able to do that and, it's because 3D and AR essentially are the same thing. They're just presented in different ways, right? So 3D in the web is just presenting in the web 3D model, but AR is just a 3D model presented in digital, in, 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 you know, in, in, um, uh, in the digital real world, right? Yeah, so I find that really interesting. You're sort of saying that, you know, at some point in the future, let's say I've got my glasses on, whichever brand actually ends up, you know, nailing that tech. Because I think I agree, I agree with you that the, you know, a lot of it's being done through the phone, but then, if, you know, that's not as immersive as I think uh, it's promised. You know, like you, you've got to point it at the right place um, and you can only see part of a, a product or something like that. But I, I'm interested really in that potential because I could imagine me sitting there, you know, and it would solve my problem with what shoes are going to look good, right? Because if I could see Correct. them on my foot, turn them around, try some stuff in, in real time. So you're saying that the sort of capability is almost already there, it's just it's about the hardware. The hardware catching. And it's the same in the fulfillment space. The the capabilities around customization, uh, well, not so much 10 years ago, but the capabilities around what we've wanted to do with the customization, um, even 3D in the web, you know, have been around for a long time. It's always been the fulfillment side, having the the hardware catch up with regards to setting the their you know more more actually less hardware, more about procedures around fulfillment that have to change that mindset of mass customization, keeping inventory of everything um, of a finished product is you know has you know, it's it's that shift that that you've you know that you've that that you that you want to see actually occur downstream before you'll see real adoption and it's the same thing in um in ar is that you know once the you know once the hardware once once we're comfortable to use wearables i mean think of how immersive 
VR is, right? When you put those glasses on and you leave this world, like think of how immersive it is. But is it realistic? No, because we can't walk around in, in, in the VR world, otherwise we'll trip over our furniture. You know, so it's it's like VR and AR have to um, have to blend and become I think they're calling it mixed reality now, right? Like not AR and not VR, they're calling it mixed reality or hyper reality, where you know, you can literally walk around in a room, have wearables on you know, see digital icons in the air, bring up a customization platform, start clicking in the air and seeing things create in front of you. And then when you're happy with it, just click order and bang off it goes. So we, you know, we are definitely positioning ourselves, you know, um, for that, um, for that market once, once those wearables become, you know, commercialized. Um, but, and I don't think they're far away. I think Facebook's now got, um, some um, some glasses that are out that are only a couple of hundred bucks. So I think you know as that sort of you know progresses, we'll see that you know um, become a thing. You know, uh, and, and I don't think it's a matter of if. I think it's a matter of when. You know, and um, you you know you'd have to think that it's only two to three years away at this point. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Something that building on something you mentioned there about you know, needing to have the inventory ready, right? So if you're allowing people to customize things, you know, you've got to have actually different pieces or different colors or different materials, whatever it might be, ready to go. What what I'm interested in is actually where that happens, right? So if I think at the moment, like we're coming into Christmas time and I can walk around some stores like the, the Maya Giftorium as an example, and there's sort of things, some light customization happening in store right? So I can buy, you know, certain products and they can print a different label that has, you know, the receiver's name or something on it. Now that's relatively easy to happen, you know, immediately and and in-store, but then there's, you know, more higher level complex customization where I'm changing things about the product, which happens, you know, where is that happening? Because I think we saw a lot of um, brands in the past, you know, shipping stuff offshore, getting it you know, made, shipping it back. And again, that adds to those challenges, those logistics. So what are you seeing in terms of the opportunities around where customization actually happens? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, I, my answer to that is a little bit, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big statement, but I think that the reason, I think that the, that the in-store um, everything that you know and understand about why in-store retail exists, I think, is going to change over time for two reasons, right? I think that, one, there's a very definitive shift to the online world, right? So people are happy now to sh- shop online and less, you know, and, and, it, and it's less now about going in. And as we continue to build those consumer experiences out, even just in, even if it's an uncustomized world, the experiences are getting so good and, um, and so um, well thought out that it is easy to, you know, it is getting easier and easier to com- create that emotional connection, even though you can't touch, feel, and hold the product before you purchase it. Um, but, and then the other problem that you've got is the, um, is the delivery side of it, right? Like, so you spoke about getting it done overseas and then bringing it back, the cost of bringing things. So even in the last two years, the cost of delivery has, you know, gone up exponentially and there's 
not much that's going to happen that's going to reduce that. Like I don't see a world, I don't personally see a world, I could be wrong, where we're going to have drones, you know, or zip, zipping through the air, dropping stuff off. And so, you know, like I think there'll be some sort of automation around deliveries, but, you know, delivery is always going to be a major cost. So, um, uh, you know, where I see the the in-store world, how I see things changing is I th- I see that I see a lot more stores fulfilling on behalf of a brand to be that and and fulfilling on behalf of the the demographic of that brand that the customer base of that brand that lives within um uh, an earshot or you know like within a few kilometers of that particular store so I think of um you know think of a company that's got you know 600 stores around the country you know, it's it's kind of like Australia Post, the model, right? Like you have, you know, all of these different, you know, Australia Post. Every single suburb has an Australia Post. Well, um, you know, and that's how you distribute to that many people efficiently, right? You've got all these stores that are listed everywhere. You know, I see a world where, you know, stores are going to start to assemble products in store and they'll get online orders that are routed to them Right, so our system can already do this, where it can route orders based on business rules. For example, what's the geographical location of the person that's placing the order? So, say you know you're in you know you're in Burwood, and you place an order, then um, uh, for you know something customized, and there's a store in Eastland, the order will be routed to there. It can be fulfilled within an hour. And it could be thrown onto an Uber and in your hands within two hours. And the cost of that Uber might be six or seven bucks, you know, and I got it in two hours. So we solved the problem of time to, to you know, time to, you know, like the, the actual time to actually process and get the product out. We save, the, we save a huge amount of cost associated with the actual labour associated with fulfilling that product because I've got store, a store, where I've got staff that I'm already paying. So all they're doing is, you know, we're already paying them to be there to man the store. Well, you know, why not have them stick on a few labels or, you know, print a couple of things and, you know, or or assemble products in a particular way, even if they're just basic infantry items where we say, okay, let's take the yellow pillowcase and put it into this material and, you know, and, um, and screen print quickly, like you know, you can buy little printers and little things to to fulfill that a desktop. Nearly every process now you can have a desktop version of it, you know, that you can do small quantities of. Now, you know, you got a company that's doing you know a thousand orders a week, but they've got six hundred stores. That's one or two orders per store, and for them to have something that's five hundred dollars to fulfill and they can get something out in two hours, then all of a sudden. You know, they might do instead of a thousand orders a week, they might do ten thousand orders a week. But still, each one of those stores is only going to be doing a handful of orders. So you don't have to go. You don't have to get any more staff. You, you know, your your capital investment is very low. But you and you give a new reason for people to have to come in store. So it's you know either we send it to you via Uber, you can just come and pick it up in half an hour. And while you're there, why don't you have a look at this, this, and this? So it's a new reason to want to shop in store. It's a it's a far-fetched idea, but I think, you know, I, we're already seeing customers now that are exploring this idea with us. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting take on, on the role of stores. And I think you've, you've made a lot of sense there in terms of, as you say, for particularly big brands where they've got 
stores in almost every geographic location because they're trying to service all those different trade areas, right? It's, it's already a relatively convenient place for picking up uh, products. The other thing I've seen in the customization space, which I think would actually combine quite well, is um, using those stores as sort of showrooms for the customization op- options as well, you know. So being able to actually go in and be like, what does the, you know, what is the, the, green leather actually sort of look and feel like, well, here's a little swatch of it. Now here's the iPad or the computer where you can put in your full customization kind of space. What you're talking about there, I can see that combining quite well where you go in, you see the kind of things, you can use the tool, customize it. And then if you're saying it's ready within two hours, you know, go grab lunch, come back and suddenly it's magically assembled in store. That's a pri- That's quite a compelling interesting customer experience i think oh absolutely and we're already seeing on a large scale with our customers where they've got online stores but they've got retail uh sorry they've got online um stores but they've also got uh, bricks and mortar and they might not have 600 they might have one store but they've got customers coming in and what they walk what they do is they walk around with an ipad they say oh you like this you like this you like this okay well let's let's create your one here and they'll walk around with the iPad and they'll go through and do the customization there and then. So the customer sits there and sees products that are combinations of products that they like but not necessarily perfect. So, okay, well, that's fine. Let's make your one right now, right, right here. And they walk them through that customization process, place the order, and then, you know, it, it, it should get as simple as, you know, when you go to Christmas shopping and you buy per- products and, you know, you, you go to the gift wrapping place and leave all your products there and come back in two hours and they're all gift wrapped for you. It should be, it should get to the point where you can make it that simple. You know, now for the smaller retailer where, you know, um, you know they don't have 600 stores, well, you know, the argument for an Australia Post-like setup where you've got a lot of these stores that are fulfilling on behalf of, you um, that have fulfillment capabilities that can fulfill on behalf of these smaller stores in the locales that they're selling to, um, that idea can be, you know, that can be explored as well. That could be an entirely interesting conversation in and of itself, that sort of partnership that we're seeing already between sort of different brands where you might order online from me, but it gets shipped to your store because we have some sort of partnership. We both win out of that because, you know, now you've got customers coming into your store that might not have otherwise, you know, there's a real opportunity there I see as well. Yeah, and we've already, so we've got this feature that we call product sharing and it's just because it's a very, you know, you know, like uninspiring sort of name for a feature but it's basically drop shipping on steroids um, whereby um, every merchant owns a product and has a certain capacity to be able to produce those products or you could be a fulfiller and you have a certain capacity to do that but you don't have the orders to do it, our customers can share products within, with each other where they can act as a drop shipper, take orders because they've got traffic that they've, you know, they're good marketers. They know how to bring people to their site uh, but they, know, they don't want to be involved or in, in, the, in the production process or they want to be involved in the production process but just to the customers that are around them, why should they miss out or not be marketable 
to the ones that are not with you know not close to them. So you know we our system allows them to route orders easily to um, the customers. Sorry to to those manufacturers that have got excess capacity to be able to fulfill it on their behalf in a opaque way. So it looks like it's still coming from the you know the the the, the retailer that sold it but it's actually being delivered from somewhere else. It's like a the Uber model for Amazon. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I'm really intrigued to see where some of those solutions and, and different innovative ways of thinking about distribution actually unlock some of these capabilities um, for retail. As a sort of uh, ending note, because I think we've, we've talked about some really fascinating topics. We have talked a bit about, you know, not only what's capable now, but some of the things that we see in the future, but, what do you see for the next over the next couple of years as really the the future evolution of customization or what are some of the opportunities or even some of the challenges you know what are what's on the horizon for you or for customization uh, sort of as a sector more broadly I think that um, uh, you know what's on the horizon I think you know we're, we're, we're I mean we're developing a lot of features some of which we can't speak about at this point that are that are real game changers around you know, um, products and and bundling products together. You know, especially like as you know, it's it's you know, getting one product customized is is cool, but being able to customize a suite of products and and how you bring them all together into the one space, even if they're across multiple retailers, and customize them together or individually. So think of like a room. So say let's go let's go the augmented reality route now. So augmented fast forward two years, augmented reality's taken off, and I want to set up a room in my house. Now I, I could be you know setting up a room in my house um, with a pot plant over here, and you know I need to be connected to a nursery to do that, and then I want a couch over here. That's a different retailer and a different retailer. So the, you might be customizing a room, but you not you may not need to be you know, with what we're doing in the future, you may not need to be retailer specific. You might need, you, you know, it might just be that it's specific to the 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 requirements that you have and that the, the products are, are, are pitched and, 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 and presented to you based on your actual needs. And that could be coming from a, a multitude of sites and then um, all put together to actually... Um, 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 give the customer, you know, the ability to set up an entire room and see exactly how it's going to look, you know, without you know, having to go to 12, 13 different websites and, you know, go through that augmented reality process individually. That's really where I see it. I think it's, 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 a, it's, it's a little bit off and, and, you know, we'd need the wearables market to really take off. But, um, yeah, that's definitely where I see things. Sign me up for that, uh, that world I'm in. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Look, Shelley, thank you so much for coming on Tropology. That was a really great uh, chat about not only Spiff3D but just customization more broadly, you know, its its role, its impact for retailers, some of the opportunities and, you know, where it could go into the future. Um, so before you leave us, you know, where can listeners find more about uh, yourself, Spiff3D, some of those, you know, where should we be looking for some of those announcements that you mentioned might be coming down the down the path? Yeah, look, we make a lot of our announcements on, um, you know, you can follow us on LinkedIn um, at Spiff3D, just search for Spiff3D or on Facebook. Um, 
but you know our website is spiff3d.com we do a lot of um, we we present a lot of um, articles and blog posts on there that we tend to share obviously on social media as well uh, but yeah that's generally you'd find us on social media or you'd find us at 3d spiff3d.com amazing well thank you so much again and i'm sure we will uh, continue these conversations into the future potentially through uh, some augmented reality or virtual worlds let's see Thanks. thanks yeah, let's see. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. Well, thank you for joining me for this episode of Shopology. I'd love for you to rate and subscribe to the show for future episodes and help me share some of these insights as broadly as possible. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Shopology Show or me at Dr. J Retail or DRJ Retail and find me on LinkedIn at Jason Parlin. Please do reach out if you have any suggestions for the show or future topics. Cheers.